0: At 10.16 a.m. on July 3, 1988, Iran Air Flight 655 departed Bandar Abbas Airport bound for Dubai, a 30-minute flight that would take it over the Strait of Hormuz. On board were 274 passengers and a 16-member flight crew, making for a total of 290 civilians. At 10.24, eight minutes after takeoff, As the commercial airliner continued its planned flight path, the USS Vincennes, an American missile cruiser in the strait thousands of feet below, fired a surface-to-air missile at the Airbus A300. Seconds later, it made impact, tearing the plane apart in midair, scattering debris and corpses in the waters below. Out of the 290 people on board, there were no survivors. Today I want to talk about the events of July 3rd, 1988, the things that led up to it, and the response of the American government. Thanks for tuning in this week. You're listening to Hidden History. I'm Ellis Tucci, and this is Episode 116, Flight 655. Hidden History is always available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and www.hiddenhistory.show. If you like this episode, then consider subscribing or sharing with a friend. One quick item of housekeeping. This is the last episode of season four, but fret not. I'll be taking the rest of August off to unwind for a little bit, and I'll be back with the first episodes of season five on the second and fourth Saturdays in September. So with that, let's get into the show. So the first question you may be asking is, why was a U.S. missile cruiser in the Strait of Hormuz? The broader answer to that question is that the United States is a vast evil empire that projects brutal force around the globe to protect its economic interests. If you're a regular listener to this show, then I imagine that probably isn't news to you. But if we want to get more specific, there were more American warships and military machinery in the Gulf state waters than usual. The United States does maintain a constant naval force in the area, but it had recently been expanded as a result of the Iran-Iraq War, and to get a full sense of this story, that's where we need to start. Well, I suppose a tiny bit earlier than that. 1979, the Iranian Revolution overthrew the American-backed Pahlavi dynasty, which had been given autocratic power in a CIA coup in 1953, which had happened because the democratically elected Prime Minister, Mohammad Mossadegh, had nationalized Iranian oil infrastructure. The 1979 revolution established the Islamic Republic of Iran and elevated Ruhollah Khomeini, also known as Ayatollah Khomeini, to the position of Supreme Leader. Saddam Hussein, the dictator of Iraq, who at this point received material support and diplomatic cover from the United States, and would continue to do so until the first Gulf War in 1991, was vehemently opposed to the Iranian Islamic Revolution, and was afraid that it would spread to Iraq by way of its oppressed Shia majority. And so on September 22, 1980, Iraq launched an invasion of Iran, hoping to make quick work of the war while the country was still reorganizing its post-revolutionary government. The plan failed, and within months, Iraqi forces found themselves in a stalemate. By the end of 1982, it was clear to Saddam that, even with the financial support of the other Gulf states, his easy victory had been an illusion, and he proposed peace with Iran. Iran, however, felt that they should not simply make peace with a country that had attacked them without provocation in order to topple their government, especially not so since the Iraqis seemed to be on the defensive. Ayatollah Khomeini, in response, said that there would be no peace and that the war would end, as a matter of fact, only after Saddam's government had fallen and Iran had received reparations from the war. Under these circumstances, the Iran Iraq war would drag on for another six years with little progress being made on either side. In the meantime, as I mentioned, Iraq had the support of the United States, which sent a number of warships into Gulf State waters in order to exert continual pressure on Iran. Iran is, pretty understandably, not happy about that, and so the forces of the Iranian Navy and Air Force begin kind of lightly sparring with those of the United States each side making generally small back-and-forth attacks. A sunk Iranian merchant ship here, an American ship hitting an Iranian mine there, coupled with Iranian harassment of American ships with small gunboats, generally contributed to an atmosphere of extremely high tension within the Persian Gulf. One of these ships that had recently been sent to shore up American strength in the Gulf was the Ticonderoga-class guided missile cruiser USS Vincennes. The Vincennes had recently been outfitted with the ultra-high-tech, ultra-expensive Aegis Combat System, which uses advanced radar and missile systems to detect and destroy targets. This brand-new warship, bristling with high-tech weaponry, was captained by William Rogers III, a man who was described as aggressive and eager for combat. These two things gave the ship its nickname, Robocruiser. Commanding one of the five ships in the U.S. Navy that had been outfitted with an Aegis was a great distinction, and Captain Rogers was determined to find out what it could do. As one might expect from the variables we're dealing with, almost as soon as the Vincennes arrived in Gulf waters, it started behaving increasingly aggressively. On the morning of July 3rd, the USS Vincennes was passing through the Strait of Hormuz after completing its mission to search and escort foreign tankers, an operation known as Ernest Will. Upon hearing about reported Iranian harassment of a merchant vessel, he dispatched one of the ship's helicopters to investigate. The helicopter found the small gunboat in question. The captains of the other destroyers in the area had previously described such forces as quote, non-threatening. The small boat fled back to Iranian waters, the helicopter gave chase, and the Vincennes began to follow. Soon, the commander of the American flotilla learned of the Vincennes' new location and ordered it to return. Captain Rogers, with so much to prove, ignored these orders. Upon the helicopter's entry into Iranian airspace, where, I may add, it was absolutely not supposed to go, the gunboat fired a few warning shots. After hearing that his helicopter had been shot at, Captain Rogers decided to engage. He ordered the Vincennes into Iranian waters and had the ship's guns fire at the small boats, sinking two and severely damaging another. Just as they were celebrating their victory, a new blip appeared on the Aegis. It was Flight 655, taking off from Bandar Abbas Airport. It was to climb to 14,000 feet, maintain elevation, and then begin its descent into Dubai. It was captained by Moshen Rezaeen, a civil aviation veteran with over 7,000 flight hours, which is to say that he's certainly not prone to error. It was right there on the Aegis radar. Big. The Airbus 300 is 177 feet long. Slow. Its takeoff speed is about 184 miles an hour. And climbing consistent with its flight plans. As one would expect, it was traversing a very common commercial aviation corridor. The crew of the USS Vincennes looked at that and saw in it an F-14 Tomcat, which is 63 feet long and can travel at speeds in excess of Mach 2. While Flight 655 was climbing, their Tomcat was descending. Later on, their excuse here would be that the Aegis had tricked them. When Flight 655 took off, Aegis assigned it an identifying code on the radar display. The system then recycled that number and gave it to a fighter jet over 100 miles away. This excuse belies the fact, of course, that in order to correct this, all you would have to do is look at the huge screen in front of you and... While discussing if you're going to blow the plane out of the sky, notice that the number you're using is describing an aircraft that is operating in a way that is entirely contradictory to the behavior of the plane on your radar, which, by the way, now has its new identifying code glowing right underneath it. But I digress. As one would hope from a computer system that cost a billion dollars in 1980, there were no operational errors from the ages openly displayed to the crew that the flight had its transmitter set to Squawk Channel 3, which was for exclusive use by civilian aircraft. The only possible explanations for this misidentification are that the crew was not properly trained in the use of an incredibly dangerous billion-dollar weapon system, or that they didn't really care. Both are pretty bad, I would say. Upon looking at this commercial flight and seeing an enemy fighter, they made attempts to contact the plane. Now, we're going to get to this later, but a couple of weeks after this, at an emergency session of the United Nations, then-Vice President George H.W. Bush makes a big show of the fact that the crew of the USS Vincennes had made seven attempts to contact Flight 655 and had not gotten a response. That's technically true they made seven attempts to contact the craft on a military emergency frequency which commercial aircraft are not equipped to receive. Slight digression. As more U.S. warships had arrived in the Gulf, they established a rule that all civil aircraft had to remain tuned to a civilian emergency frequency with which they could quickly communicate and identify themselves to the U.S. Navy. It was on this frequency that the Vincennes sent three requests for the aircraft to identify itself. But it turns out, that this also isn't as good an excuse as they think it is, and maybe why Bush didn't add it to the UN tally. They addressed the calls on the open channel to, quote, unidentified Iranian aircraft and identified the speed of said mystery aircraft as 350 knots, 50 knots more than the airspeed indicated to the pilots in the cockpit. The crews of the USS Elmer Montgomery and the USS Sides both in the area, had easily identified the aircraft as civilian. But upon receiving no response to their vague calls for identification, the crew of the Vincennes used their fancy billion-dollar computer to fire a surface-to-air missile at Iran Air Flight 655. It impacted seconds later, causing the plane to disintegrate in midair. Fittingly, the Vincennes was the first to find the wreckage. A total of 290 people were killed, including 66 children. Here's what the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Admiral William Crowe, had to say about it shortly afterwards.
1: An examination of the events on 3 July leads quickly to the conclusion that Iran must share the responsibility for tragedy and the investigation so found. By any measure, it was unconscionable to ignore the repeated warnings of the United States and permit an airliner to take off from a joint military-civilian airfield and fly directly into the midst of the ongoing surface action in the Strait of Hormuz which the Iranians themselves had initiated.
0: Like I mentioned earlier, Iran asks for an emergency session at the United Nations to seek justice for this incredible crime. At this session, George Bush gives an absolutely blood chilling speech where he blames Iran for the whole thing and tells them that they had better get in line. Both Bush's speech and the speech of the Iranian foreign minister total about two hours, with Bush's being 23 minutes. So here's a condensed version. The link to the full video is in the description.
1: Mr. President, thank you for the warm welcome which you Extended to me and I'm pleased that the Security Council is presided over this month by the representative of a country With which my country has very cordial relations And I'm confident that your diplomatic skills will assure a successful outcome of this debate Mr.. President and members of this distinguished Security Council I've come here today to represent the, represent the United States at the request of President Reagan because of the importance of the issues at stake. Not just the terrible human tragedy of Iran Air 655, but the continuing conflict between Iran and Iraq and its implications for international commerce in the Persian Gulf. And after two, more, two years or more of berating this body, Iran comes now with reckless, intemperate charges against my country And on balance, though, on balance, I expect it's good that the foreign minister appeared here today. Because maybe this body can now be the catalyst to end the bloodshed and bring the peace. But, Mr. President, the critical issue confronting this body is not the how and why of Iran Air 655, which I will discuss... It's the continuing refusal of the government of the Islamic Republic of Iran to comply with Resolution 598, to negotiate an end to the war with Iraq, and to cease its acts of aggression against neutral shipping in the Persian Gulf. The victims of Iran 655 are only the most recent casualties of a brutal and a senseless war that has brought immense pain and suffering to the people of both sides. As for the immediate uh, immediate matter at hand, the unfortunate destruction of 655. First, an aside, I'd forgotten this, having been gone from the U.N. for a long time. I can't help but notice how often Iran quoted U.S. newspapers perhaps coming from a country not blessed with a vigorous, competitive, free press, and free political system, the Iranians don't understand that you can find columns or comments to support any point of view you want in this country. As for this matter at hand, the destruction of Iran 655, Many of the circumstances do remain unclear. One thing is clear, and that is that the USS Vincennes acted in self-defense. Iranian authorities failed to divert Iran Air 655 from this combat area, and they allowed a civilian aircraft loaded with passengers to proceed on a path over a warship engaged in active battle. That was irresponsible and a tragic error. There are three ways for Iran to avoid future tragedies, keep airliners away from combat, or better still, stop attacking innocent ships, or better still, the best way is peace. The Security Council offers the best hope of peace right now. The information available to Captain Rogers, the captain of the Vincennes, indicated that an Iranian military aircraft was approaching his ship with hostile intentions. And after seven, I want the council to be sure to understand this, seven unanswered warnings, the captain did what he had to do to protect his ships and the lives of the crew. The United States has never willfully acted to endanger. Innocent civilians, nor will it ever Contrast this if you will with the willful detention of inhuman conditions of Americans and others held hostage against their will One course is civilized and the other barbaric Look, Mr. President the Terrible disaster of Iran Air 655 fills our hearts with sorrow.
0: So, as is probably apparent from those clips, the United States refused to admit any wrongdoing and to this day has never taken any responsibility. Reagan would eventually go on to say that he had, quote, deep regret about the situation a statement that he later confirmed was something that he would consider an apology eventually the united states would pay reparations to the victims in order to stave off a number of lawsuits 300,000 dollars per adult and 150,000 per child the government was careful to stipulate that it's doing so was not an admission of guilt and that it was giving money as a purely humanitarian act Nobody involved received any punishment whatsoever. Captain William Rogers III remained in command of the Vincennes until 1989. In 1990, he was awarded the Legion of Merit, a medal given for exceptionally meritorious conduct. It was given in thanks of his, quote, performance of outstanding service as a commanding officer from April 1987 to May 1989. George Bush, of course, becomes president, and the USS Vincennes was decommissioned in 2005 and scrapped in 2011. American media projected its own guilt by portraying it all as just one big, understandable mistake, and the real victim as the United States for being the undeserved object of anyone's anger. I hate to end this episode on a down note, even though I probably do that pretty often, It turns out that the reason a lot of this history is so hidden is because, you know, they got away with it. But I hope you've enjoyed some of the stuff that I've made this past season. I know that I've really enjoyed doing it. I'm really looking forward to season five, and I hope that you'll listen along with me. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing or sharing with a friend. Thanks for listening. This is Ellis Tucci at Hidden History. Signing off.